Well, good morning, everyone. It's a, it's a real privilege to be up here again, bringing you the word this morning. Thank you for Michaela and Hannah for leading us in such lovely worship. Um, the passage of scripture that I want to talk about today, I think, is one of the most beautiful in all of scripture, and it's relevant, especially with what's happened just this last week. See, as Christians, we don't just believe that when our body dies, that it's the end for us, and there's, there's nothing more afterwards. We believe in eternity, we believe in eternal life. But how does that change our outlook on the life that we have now? When we think about heaven, how should it change how we look at the things that we go through here on earth? And this is what the Apostle Paul is going to address in the Bible reading we've got today. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And I'll I'll read from the beginning of chapter 4 for the full context. But that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. What we find here, between 16, 17 and 18, are three pairs of images that Paul uses to paint a picture of the Christian life. Outwardly wasting away, inward renewal. Momentary troubles, eternal joy. Eternal, temporary things we see and eternal things that we can't see. When we read this passage of scripture, our hearts should be lifted 
because it reminds us of the journey that we're on and it reminds us of where we are going. Paul begins by encouraging the Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart. Now when you're reading the Bible and you find a therefore and you want to know what the passage means, it's a good idea to find out what it's there for. In this case, <laughs> there we go, we got it. <laughs> In this case, the passage that begins at verse 16 comes after a series of reminders. First, a reminder that God's light has shone in our hearts, giving us the knowledge of Jesus Christ. A reminder that even in the face of adversity and persecution, God is still working in and through us. And a reminder that just as Jesus' body was raised from the dead, so will our bodies as well. Now those are three good reasons to rejoice this morning, so we do not lose heart. Then Paul goes on to give us the first of these three pairs that I want to dig into this morning. The first of this is verse 16. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The word outwardly here refers to our physical mortal bodies. You know, our bodies let us know that time is passing, don't they? And some of us will be more aware of that than others. You know, we get the aches and pains that start to appear. We might be going to the doctors a bit more often. And maybe we can't do the things that we were able to before. And maybe for you, that sense of your own mortality has been made stronger by illness or a diagnosis. We all know that we're wasting away and that our bodies are just temporary. And it's an unpleasant picture and it might even be distressing. But I want to remind you this morning that the older that we get and the weaker we get, it means we are closer to the Lord. Every day that passes here on earth is one day closer to being with God in eternity forever. And also to one day having a resurrected body that doesn't age and doesn't get sick. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's reminding the believer that our weakness in this life is pointing to something else. It's pointing us to eternity. You see, from an earthly perspective, ageing is frightening. But from a heavenly perspective, ageing should remind us that we're getting closer day by day to being in his presence. Now, the second half of this pair reads like this. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. While our bodies become weaker, our souls become stronger. We've got a pair of opposites. But what does Paul mean by renewed? As we live the Christian life, as we walk daily with Christ, there's something happening inside us. Take a look back at chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, part of being a Christian is becoming like Christ. It's God's will for us to, day by day, more and more, become more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, 29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. You see, when God saves us, he doesn't just give us a golden ticket to heaven, as it were, as if being saved is the ultimate goal. See, getting saved is the beginning of the Christian life. It's not the end. In the letter to the Galatians, which Mark has been taking us through, Paul uses the language of running a race to describe the Christian life. See, salvation is not crossing the finish line. Salvation is when the starting pistol fires and you begin to run. So once God saves us, he begins a work in us. He begins to change us, to sanctify us and to renew us. It's a lifelong work that he has promised to see through to the very end. 
A little bit later in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, I'm very thankful this morning that the Lord did not leave me the way that he found me. And I think a lot of us can attest to that, can't we? We come to him as we are, because we can't give God anything else. We don't have anything else. If you've ever attended a Billy Graham crusade, or if you've ever seen them on the TV, you will be familiar with the hymn, Just As I Am. That's the only way to come to Christ, just as you are. The final verse of the hymn says this, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. We come as we are, but God loves us too much to leave us as we are, too much to leave us living in our sin. And as we come to him, he gives us a new heart with new desires, and he begins this transformation process. He renews us day by day, and while our physical strength might decrease, our spiritual strength increases. Verse 16 should encourage us to look at our ageing and our frailty from a different perspective, from an eternal perspective. From a worldly perspective, ageing is something to be feared and avoided. You know, anti-ageing cream, anti-wrinkle cream, hair dye, beard gel, so there's not a single terrifying grey hair anywhere on you. But the word of God says something very different. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 31 says that grey hair is a crown of splendour attained by a righteous life. And we have got some crowns of splendour in here this morning. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a very good thing. <laughs> now, personally, I'm looking forward to getting mine, providing there's still some, still some hair left on the top. But in all seriousness, as a Christian, age is nothing to be afraid of. It reminds us of the work that God is doing inside of us. It reminds us that we're getting closer to being with the Lord. And it's a reminder of all the days and the years that he has blessed us with. To cap this point off, I want to read you one of God's promises. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4, he says, Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Paul's second pair is this. Verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now what would you consider to be a light and momentary trouble? Something like the boiler packing up. Planning a holiday and things falling through at the last minute. Now, if we want to understand this verse, we need to know what the Apostle Paul considers to be a light and momentary trouble. Look back at verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So Paul's list of light troubles goes something like this. Hard pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down and delivered to death. To really understand the sheer weight of this verse of scripture, we should look at its historical context. See, 2 Corinthians was written in either late 55 AD, early 56 AD. 
to the church at Corinth. This was just 20 years, around 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this was a letter addressed to the very first generation of Christians. See, the whole Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. You see, and when we understand who it was written to originally, it gives us important insight, especially in this text here today. See, the persecution of Christians began immediately. All you need to do is look at as far as the book of Acts. We read that the apostles were arrested, they were flogged, put in prison, and in some cases they were executed. Now, several years after Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, Christian persecution got even worse. It got even more intense under the emperor Nero. In 64 AD, there was a great fire of Rome, a huge fire. It burned for six days, and by the end of it, two-thirds of Rome was in ruins. Now, the church had been growing fast, and the Christian faith was not viewed favourably by the Romans. At the same time, rumours began to circulate that Nero had started the fire himself so that he could build himself a new palace. So Nero saw his opportunity. He pinned the blame on Christians for starting the fire. The Roman historian Tacitus writes in the early 2nd century, Consequently, to get rid of the report, that is the rumours, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, that's Jesus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, that is crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their centre and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Now Tacitus goes on to briefly describe the way in which Nero persecuted the Christians. And I won't read it, but it is suffice to say he was a twisted individual. But this was the background. This is the backdrop, the reality of the persecution that these first Christians lived with. As they gathered together in their home churches and elsewhere, this is what was happening outside the walls. This is what they had in mind when they read this letter from Paul. Now, for us here in England today, 2000 something years later, it is hard for us to imagine. But actually, this is the reality of life for many of our Christian brothers and sisters right now. Every year, Open Doors, as Mark has already mentioned, they publish a world watch list. Every country is ranked by how dangerous it is to be a publicly professing Christian there. Right now, North Korea is number one. If the authorities in North Korea find out that you're a Christian, you can be sent to a labour camp or killed on the spot. Nigeria is number six on the list, a country where more Christians are killed for their faith than every other country combined. We can't just assume that persecution is confined to history because it's not. It's happening right now. Here in the UK, we are blessed. We are tremendously blessed. And we, of course, we face our challenges. Politics, schools, you know, we, we, we have our battles. But we have freedom. We have a lot of freedom. Freedom to fly a great big purple banner outside with a cross on it. There are churches in other parts of the world that could only dream of being able to do that. So my challenge to you this morning and a challenge to myself as well is this. What are we doing with our freedom? 
Are we making the most of it while we've still got it? Thinking about the persecuted church gives us perspective on our own lives. If you haven't got a World Watch list already, please take one. There's plenty on the table outside. Some of it is difficult to read, but in those stories of persecution, you'll find great stories of faith and overcoming. With all this in mind, then, how is it that Paul says that these are light and momentary troubles? The answer is perspective. On the other side of this life that is fraught with pain and suffering is an eternal glory that far outweighs anything we endure in this life and anything that we could imagine. In Psalm chapter 39 verse 4, David prays, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. James chapter 4.14 says, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This life we have here on earth is short. It's short and we don't know when it's going to come to an end. But eternity is long. With our limited human minds, it's difficult to grasp what eternity looks like. But try to imagine a long stretch of rope that goes on forever and ever. And every twist in that rope is a thousand years. Our life, our 70, 80, 90 years here is a thread in that rope. It's nothing in comparison to eternity. The time that we spend here is a blink of an eye. It's over before you know it. And it's with this eternal perspective that we can say, I'm really going through it right now, but not for long. All our troubles become momentary in the light of eternity. Now, many years ago, when I was a child, I needed a medical procedure done on my foot. And part of this procedure was a local anaesthetic. Now, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that this was the biggest, thickest needle I've ever seen in my life. It was, th it was so thick it looked like a pen. It was horrible. I can still see it. Now, if you've ever had an injection, you know what the nurse and the doctor say. It's just a scratch. Just a scratch and it'll be over. Now, what I felt that day was not a scratch. I'm telling you now. But my point is this, that when we know that we're going to experience pain... For a short amount of time, like an injection, we take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, embrace it and get it over with. And we can endure it. The pain I felt that day for those few short seconds, it was agonising. But before I knew it, it was over. And those few seconds of pain compared with the 29 years that I've been alive is the blink of an eye. It's nothing. When we, like the Apostle Paul, put the pain that we experience in the light of a glorious eternity with Christ... It's nothing by comparison. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that your pain is any less painful or that your loss or heartbreak is insignificant. What I'm telling you today and what Paul is telling us is that when we fix our minds on heaven and the incredible, glorious future that God has waiting for us, when we look at our struggles through the lens of eternity, they fade away into nothing. This isn't a reflection of the size of your problems. Rather, it's a reflection of how great and glorious heaven is. We get a picture of it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. When we remember that this is what God has promised, we can take a deep breath and we can endure. Now, we come to Paul's third pair, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So far we've looked at an outward wasting away versus an inward renewal. We've looked at our present sufferings versus our future eternity. And now Paul shifts the focus to the seen and the unseen. We're told to focus on the spiritual, to make this perspective our priority, and not to focus on the physical things of this world that are all passing away. Jesus taught the very same thing in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we store up our treasures... Where we fix our eyes is of utmost importance, because that's where our heart is going to be. It is a battle, though. Every day we wake up with a list of things to do, pressures, deadlines, physical things that we have to attend to. And sometimes our earthly responsibilities, it makes it difficult for us to do all the things we want to do for the Lord. Not only that, but we live in a world right now that is fighting for your attention every second of every day. Television, radio, advertising, social media. Wherever you go, it's noise. We're, we're surrounded by it. Now, the way we spend a lot of the time we have may be out of our control. You might have a job with long, unsociable hours, or you may have to spend a lot of time looking after family. And by the end of your to-do list, there's not a lot of time left. But we all have some amount of time that is ours to decide what to do with. And we ought to treat this time with great care, especially if you don't have much of it. We're not without help, though, because the Bible gives us a useful principle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15, Paul describes how one day the work of those who build the church will be tested. Not to be tested on whether or not they'll be saved, but the work will be tested to see if it has eternal value. Beginning in verse 10, we read... By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, the clear context of the passage tells us Paul is primarily talking about the building of the church. Bible scholars and commentators differ on whether this passage applies to every believer. But what is clear in scripture is that we all must give an account. Not an account that decides our salvation, but an account to God of how we use the time and the life that he gave to us. Either way, Paul gives us an image here to help us think about the way that we spend our life and our time. Here's the question. What materials are you building with? 
Imagine an empty plot of land in your mind. For every hour you live, you get one single brick to build a house. And depending on how you spend that hour of your life, that brick is made of something different. For the time you spend in the word of God, in prayer, in serving and loving others, in living a life obedient to God, you get a solid brick, concrete stone, something that's going to last. For the time we spend on worthless things, things that you know are a waste of time, things that are of no spiritual benefit to you or anyone else, or just straight up disobedience to the Lord, you get a brick made of hay and straw, fragile materials. Now, when you think about your life, the way you choose to spend your time, when you apply this metaphor and build your house brick by brick, hour by hour, what does your house look like? Does it look like a house that's going to weather a storm? Or does it look like a house that will be knocked down by a gust of wind? Now, I want to make myself very clear. This analogy has nothing to do with our salvation. Our salvation is not dependent on our work. It's a gift of God that can only be received by faith in Christ. Nor am I condemning time spent on leisure and rest because rest is something that all of us need. But visualising our time like this might help us to focus on better things. Because the time that God gives us is so precious. When we focus on the unseen, on the things that have eternal value, it puts our temporary lives, the time that we spend and the things that we see, into the right perspective, a heavenly perspective. Now, just this past week, as Mark has already mentioned, two of our dear sisters in this congregation, Shirley and Pam, went to be with the Lord. Now, I think I can speak for all of us, and Mark's already mentioned it, but we're going to miss Shirley's voice, aren't we? Singing praises to the Lord. And I know Pam was here long, long before I was. I just turned up yesterday. And I, what I will remember about Pam is the way that she prayed. She always started her prayers in the same way. And I think we all know the words, but I do want to read them this morning because they are lovely words. It's the words of a hymn. What was it, O our God, led thee to give thy son, to yield thy well-beloved for us by sin undone? T'was love unbounded led thee thus, to give thy well-beloved for us. They're lovely words, aren't they? Now, as you know, they both endured long periods of ill health. But even as they were outwardly becoming weaker, even as they both knew that their temporary lives were coming to an end, they both had peace. Why? Because they knew where they were going. They knew that after they closed their eyes for the last time in this world, they would open their eyes in heaven to see their saviour. They knew, as Paul did, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They could both look death in the face and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because they were trusting in the one who rose from the grave and defeated death. Now their assurance is the same assurance that we all have this morning as Christians. The assurance of eternal life. Do you have that assurance this morning? Do you know where you are going? Now if your answer to that question is, I hope I'm going to heaven or I think I might be going to heaven. Or if your assurance is any less than 100%. I want you to picture something, as I borrow an analogy from Ray Comfort. Imagine the two of us, you and I, were on a plane, but the engine has caught fire, the pilot's unconscious, and the plane is hurtling towards the ground at an alarming speed. We're both sitting on the edge of the open door as smoke fills the plane, and we both know we're going to have to jump. There are two parachutes. I turn to you and say, right, we've got 30 seconds, we're going to have to jump. Have you got the parachute on? Is it secure? If you turn to me and say... 
Maybe. I'm going to say, what is wrong with you? We've got to jump 10,000 feet and you don't know. In the same way, we need to make sure we know where we are going when this life ends. Now, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you're trusting and believing in him, there is no maybe about it. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't make it possible for you to save yourself if you're good enough. No way. When theologians talk about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, they use the term the finished work of Christ. It's a finished work because we can't add or contribute anything to what Jesus did. The only thing we can do is receive the pardon for our sins and the forgiveness that he offers us and the gift of eternal life. Have you received Christ as your saviour? John chapter 3 verse 36 reads, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now without Christ there is no hope of heaven. If you die in your sins, the only assurance that you have is the assurance of a lost eternity. And our life is not like this burning plane analogy, because we don't know when we're going to have to jump. But God is rich in mercy. The Bible says that that God demonstrated his love for us in that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And if we turn to him in faith, if we turn away from our sins and repent and trust in him, he offers us everlasting life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never turned from your sins and trusted in him, today is the day, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. In closing, for those of us who have received Christ, we have the privilege of this eternal perspective. We can say that even as we age and we become frail, God is completing the work that he started in us. We can say that whatever trials we endure in this life, they are light and they are momentary compared to the eternal and glorious future that awaits us. And we can say that whatever temporary things the world offers us are meaningless compared to God's promises and the eternal life in Jesus Christ that we have received. My prayer is that this passage of scripture is a comfort to you and that it helps you see everything, your life, your pain and your struggles from that eternal heavenly perspective that God wants us to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your word that is so full of incredible promises for us. We thank you that in light of eternity, we can see our lives differently. We thank you that even in times of weakness and hardship, you don't leave or forsake us, but instead you're working in and through us. We thank you for the promise of eternal life, the promise of heaven with you, a promise that helps us endure whatever difficulties we might face. Help us, Lord, we pray, to fix our eyes on what is unseen to remember eternity, to remember our destination, and to live our lives with that heavenly perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.